You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's good vision for the world, creation in harmony with humanity, and humanity in harmony with God. Join us for our series, Sacred, Genesis 1 and 2. For those who don't know me, my name is Nick Wirens. I serve here as the associate pastor, um, and we are delighted that you have joined us for worship today. We are continuing on in our sermon series entitled The Missio Day. Um, you guys enjoy getting bulletins today? Yeah? Relic of the past? Yeah. Man, good to have something physical in the digital world. Well, hey, uh, in an article uh, from Forbes earlier this year, author Amy Bloschka writes this. She says, ask anyone today, how are you? And the likely answer you'll receive isn't fine, (laughs) it's tired. And it's no wonder, we are exhausted. Between the effects of a prolonged pandemic and the workplace pressure to be productive and adhere to an always-on hustle-and-grind mentality, we are on the verge of burnout. Now, you don't have to be a psychologist or sociologist to sense what many today are referring to as a global fatigue. Maybe you've experienced this yourself after going on two years now of, of chronic stress, of decision fatigue, of risk analysis for literally every activity. It's like, should I even go to Costco? If I go to Costco, should I take my kids? If I go to Costco and take my kids, should I wear masks? Should they wear masks? It's exhausting. On top of that, we have constant Zoom calls and the blurring of work and home coming together and not really knowing where one starts and one ends. So friends, let me tell you, you are not crazy. (laughs) We are all tired. Most of us think we just need a nap, maybe an extra hour of sleep. Praise the Lord for daylight savings time. Yeah. But really what we more likely need, more than a little extra sleep, some more Z's, is a a different kind of rest. Amy Blaschka, who wrote the, the, the Forbes article, She goes on to cite a physician and an author, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, who wrote a book entitled Sacred Rest. Here's what Dr. Dalton-Smith says. She says, sleep is not the same thing as rest. That's why even after last night, you're like, I'm still exhausted, right? And right now, most of us have a deficit in rest because we don't understand the difference between sleep and rest. We're living in a culture of high-achieving, high-producing, chronically tired, and chronically burned-out individuals. Every activity we do requires energy, and it's not all physical, or just physical, I would say. What's the solution, then? Well, um, Dr. Dalton Smith, she lays out seven types of rest, which I'm like, oh, wow, that's a lot to keep up with, right? She says physical, mental, sensory, creative, emotional, social, spiritual. She says we need a, a bigger definition of rest, which is beautiful, like that's a great vision, right? But what if that's not novel? (laughs) It's like we needed to wait 2,000 years or longer for someone to say, hey, here's how we rest, right? But for many of us, this idea of a different kind of rest, rest different than sleep, 
It may be novel, right? In our American culture where verbs like hustle and grit are virtues, where busyness becomes the metric for your value as a human, where the achievements you've done now become who you are and define your identity. The idea of rest, it seems foreign, maybe, maybe even like morally wrong, like a little bit icky <laughs> if I really rest. But y'all, what I, I think we see even today in our text is this idea of a different kind of rest is as old as creation itself. As we've been looking over the last several weeks at the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, we have been seeking to unpack the Missio Dei, which is the fancy Latin term for the mission of God. Learning what's the point of all this? Why did God create creation? What I want to propose to you today is that our God, the creator of all things, the one who tasked us with this mission to fill the earth with his glory, our God has embedded in his marching orders an invitation to rest. Not just in the life to come, not just a future rest, but even now in our very embodied experience. Now, before we unpack this a little more, um, I want to open us with a word of prayer. So let's pray. God, we do thank you that you are the creator of all things and that you are a God of order and not of chaos. We thank you, God, that you also are a generous God, that in your invitation to us to join us on mission with you, you also give us an invitation to rest. You give us an invitation to um, enter into peace and comfort in you and allow our work and our, the mission that you've called us to to flow from that. Pray, God, this morning that, if anything, we as a people would experience a rest that can only come through you. Pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So our passage today in Genesis, it shows us a picture of God resting. God completed all his work of creation, then he takes a step back, takes his hands off in a sense, and, and he rests. This, this modeling of rest in, in Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, it, it later becomes the foundation for a practice that God's people practice for millennia called the Sabbath. You likely have heard this word, if not in Scripture, from the practice that still remains for many, uh, Jude- for many uh, who practice Judaism today. In the Christian faith, though, there are many questions revolving around the Sabbath. First is, does the Sabbath remain for Christians? Is it right to practice the Sabbath? Or on the flip side, is it actually wrong for us to practice the Sabbath? Do we call it the Sabbath or the Lord's Day? (laughs) Should we practice it on Saturday, as was tradition in the Old Testament? Or do we practice it on Sunday, as many New Testament Christians did? Now, we won't have time to unpack all these questions, but I'm happy to talk through them more if you do have questions. But this morning, I am going to encourage you to consider the Sabbath or the Lord's Day. I'll use those synonymously if you desire. I'm urging you to consider the Sabbath as an invitation to God that still remains for our formation. 
In an article called The Theological Significance of the Lord's Day for the Missional Church, not uh, super zesty there, but great quote, so we'll go for it anyways. Uh, Daryl Guter, he says this, building on the pervasive Old Testament emphasis upon Israel's vocation as witness and expounding the New Testament's emphasis upon the expansion of that witness to the whole world. So he's saying in the Old Testament, we see that Israel, God's people, had a specific call to carry out God's mission, Missio Dei, that ex- continues in the New Testament, okay, and it's expanded to go to the whole world. You guys with me? Yeah? Okay, we can recognize that the observance, observance of the Sabbath day is God's gift for our formation, for our missional vocation on the other six days. We cannot be about our mission, the Missio Dei, the mission of God that we've been given. We cannot be about our mission if we are not in a process of discipline and formation. What Guter is arguing is that missionality, which is, you know, is one of our three values it flows out of our formation that we experience through the Sabbath, through the Lord's Day, through intentional rest. So at the outset, I want to say, like other spiritual disciplines or practices of Jesus, right, reading scripture, prayer, fasting, silence and solitude, the Sabbath cannot save you. It does not save you. But I hope that together, as a church, we can consider what this practice might do for our formation and our following of Christ. So let's start. You can follow along in the outline in your bulletins. We'll start with understanding the Sabbath. So first, just real quick definition. What is it? The Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time where God's people stop work, delight in creation, and worship God. The Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time where God's people stop work, delight in creation, and worship God. We'll unpack that more as we go, but that's the definition that we're working with. So what does God's Word say about it? Right? What does God's word say about the Sabbath? The first thing we see in Scripture is that Sabbath is commanded. If you look at Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien, the foreigner who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. And just a reminder, this comes in the Ten Commandments. This is the fourth commandment, right? Now, there is complexity, right, with relating us as New Testament Christians with relating to Old Testament law, but the, the Ten Commandments are, are pretty standardly regarded, right, in the, in the Christian tradition as a generally good moral code to uphold, right? It's like, we're, we're great with saying like, well, yeah, we probably shouldn't kill people. Or, yeah, maybe I shouldn't covet other people's stuff. But then we get to rest and we're like, hold on a second. Wait a second. That can't be right, right? That's in the Ten Commandments. Now, it's fascinating to me, right, that the, the Sabbath is the only, quote-unquote, spiritual discipline or practice of Jesus that's in the Ten Commandments. Like, why is that so? Right? It doesn't say, thou shalt read Scripture, thou shalt um, have your quiet time, you know, thou shalt do your daily devotional. It's not all those things, but the Sabbath is commanded. What's crazy, y'all, this isn't just like a one-off thing. It's like God didn't like do this, and he's like, well, later I'll, you know, like, I'll throw some other things in there, right? Look at Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15 with me. 
This is where uh, God is restating, reminding God's people of the covenant with them. And what's interesting is we actually see there's a little bit of a change here in the language, right? So now we, we move towards seeing that Sabbath is resistance. Sabbath is resistance. Look at what uh, God says when he restates it. He, he gives the command, so we're not going to read that again. And then verse 15, he says, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Well, earlier God said it was about creation, So God's added a new layer, in a sense, to the practice of Sabbath, one that says the Sabbath serves as a reminder that you are not slaves anymore. Slaves don't get Sabbath, y'all. Slaves don't get to rest until the job's done, but the irony is the job is never done, right? Now, as God's people, the Old Testament Israel, they're, they're freed from slavery. The Sabbath now serves as a reminder that they're free. For for generations, the Sabbath marked to them, God's people, that it was an act of resistance for them. It was an outward expression that let any culture know that they belonged to God. It was a mark for the Babylonians. It was a mark for the Romans, right? The Romans talked about how lazy the Jews were, and the Jews were like, no, 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 like we're doing this on purpose, right? It's like, not that we're lazy. It's like, this is intentional, God's people, by practicing the Sabbath, it showed that they were set apart by God. And as such, they set apart a day for themselves to remember that reality, to remember and remind themselves that they were no longer slaves. And y'all, the the same, I would argue, is true of Sabbath or the Lord's Day today. It can serve as a reminder that you are no longer a metaphorical slave, (laughs) but are set free in Christ. In his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer, he writes, Sabbath is an act of rebellion against Pharaoh and his empire, an insurgency and an insurrection against the isms of the Western world, globalism, capitalism, materialism, all of which sound nice but quickly make slaves of the rich and the poor. Sabbath is a way to stay free and make sure you never get sucked back into slavery or worse, become the slave driver yourself. Like other ascetic practices or practices of stopping or putting off, like fasting, silence, and solitude, Sabbath is a way for us to put off, in a sense, the cultural forces that influence us more than we know and more than we realize, so that we can remember that we're not slaves to those things anymore. So Sabbath is commanded, Sabbath is resistance, and then in line with what we've been looking at all throughout this series, I would argue Sabbath is image-bearing. Sabbath is image-bearing. Look at our text again today. It says, So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. God finished the work. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Now, if you've been tracking with us all throughout um, Genesis 1 and 2, we've been arguing that as God's image bearers, we look like and have some of the characteristics that God has, okay, right? We talk about God being triune, which means God is in community in eternity past and eternity future, right? Father, Son, and Spirit, always in community and perfect harmony. 
God creates us out of that and creates us for community. So in our community, we are image-bearing. God is also rational and a reasoning God, right? He is a God of order. He has purpose for all of his creation. So too does humankind have the capacity to reason and make sense of the world. God works, right? He works in his creation. So too are we are created as image-bearers to work. Friends, I, I think as we look at this text, like the same logic applies. God rests. <laughs> Not because he's tired, but God rests. Now we often hear the like, oh yeah, Sabbath is modeled for us by God. But what I'm arguing is that it's deeper than that. That God is not just modeling it for us, but that in God there is rest. So as his image bearers, when we rest, we are imaging God and showing people that there is rest in the one who created us. So we see in Scripture... The Sabbath is commanded, Sabbath is resistance, and Sabbath is image-bearing. Um, I realize those are all Old Testament references, but I got, I got verses, so if you want to talk New Testament, see me after. <laughs> I think the call remains, friends. The invitation remains. So we have to ask the question, looking at the scriptural evidence then, like, do we need to practice this, or should we, or does it still remain? And I think the answer is Yes. But again, like any spiritual discipline, like any practice of Jesus, reading scripture, prayer, fasting, silence and solitude, Sabbath does not and cannot save you. But friends, as I've studied the topic more and more, I think it's a beautiful invitation from our God who made us to enter into a rest for our mind and our bodies and souls. I think it's an invitation that if we were to take this seriously, that it may help to realign our hearts and our minds to the Lord. I think it would cultivate flourishing in our lives and the lives of others through a practice that what we do, it calls into question all these isms, workaholism, consumerism, materialism, and more. Now, it's baffling to me, right, that we, myself included, like, resist this invitation. (laughs) Like, God says, hey, are you tired? Come enter in. And we're like, no, no. Like, I'm not going to put myself under the law again, right? It's like, that's not the point. You are free from the law. But I think then when we see resistance in our own hearts, right, that shows us, well, maybe the issue is not necessarily with the practice and the issue is with me, (laughs) Right? As I've just recently tried to step into intentional times of Sabbath, like I've realized like the problem is me. I am the one that's addicted to being busy. <laughs> I'm the one that can't slow down. I'm the one that finds value in the things I do or the things people think about me more than God, right? The issue is with my misaligned heart and not with the practice itself. So what if we did? What if we saw Sabbath as an invitation, as a a way to break the chains of our culture of overwork, of overstress, of over-identifying with the things we do? Think writer Dennis Olson, he says it beautifully. He says, the Sabbath offers rich resources for fundamentally reshaping our view of time as it integrates and balances the way we relate to all our our primary connections in life. Our relation with God, with other humans, with non-human creation, and even with ourselves. 
So even though the Sabbath is primarily about stopping work, what Olson is arguing, and I would join him in saying, is it doesn't just bring balance to like having the work-life balance, right? It actually brings health and vitality to every aspect of our life. So then, how, how do you do this? How would you practice the Sabbath? Well, I think there's, there's three elements, okay, if you're following along with us in the bulletin. Stop work, delight in creation, and worship God. So the first, stop work. The idea here is to, to stop work, right? Both paid and unpaid. Okay, if you crunch numbers all day and then go home and mow your lawn, right? That's unpaid work. <laughs> no one's paying you for that, right? I mean, maybe, maybe that's your side hustle, maybe. I don't know. But it's stopping work, both paid and unpaid. The Sabbath isn't a chore day. <laughs> it's, a, it's, an, it's an invitation to set work down. The traditional Hebrew understanding of the Sabbath, okay, it was from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Some Christian traditions, Seventh-day Adventists, if you've ever heard of them, they hold to that, right? So they still practice that Friday night to Saturday night, and then they worship on Saturday night. Other Christian traditions have moved, sun, moved to practicing a Sabbath or the, on Sunday, the Lord's Day, right, is the the, I guess, Baptist way of saying it, you know, it's like, today's the Lord's day and all the blue laws and stuff, right? Y'all remember blue laws? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's where it comes from. So anyways, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know. If y'all want to talk about what day you need to have Sabbath on, we can talk, but I, I don't think it matters, right? Paul says, don't judge each other on your day of Sabbath. Like, that's, that's not the point. I think Sunday's a great day, right? And I would push many of you to, to do it on Sunday um, for Vocational minister, Sunday's probably not the best day because this is my work, you know. But uh, anyways, that's more of a problem for me than you. Um, yeah, thanks, thanks. Uh, anyways, so this idea of sun, like, okay, oh, man. This idea of, of sundown to sundown, right, is actually beautiful, right? Our day is like when we wake up in the morning until we end the day, right? Okay, the Hebrew way of time, it actually, they operated out of their rest. So evening was the start of their day, right? Which is why they start sundown to sundown. And I think it's a beautiful picture for us because uh, what a lot of the Puritan pastors argue is that when we start uh, the Lord's Day on, on Saturday night at 6 p.m., we then can prepare our hearts for worship with God's people in the morning. Like, wouldn't that be different, right? If like we started slowing down on like Saturday at 6 p.m. to prepare ourselves to come here, to open up our hearts to the Lord and to others. The other thing that I think is good about thinking about sundown to sundown is it dispels a lot of the notion of like, I cannot take that much time off, right? And, and I get it, right? If you like stop work when you go to sleep, let's say you go to bed at 10 p.m. and then you don't start work again till like Monday at 6 a.m., it's like, that is a long stretch of time. That's like 36 hours, you know, so I get it. So if you stop 6 p.m. to 6 p.m., it's like the dishes can then wait until 6 p.m. on Sunday, right? Packing all the kids' lunches can wait until 6 p.m. on Sunday. The laundry can wait until 6 p.m. on Sunday, right? So you're not like doing this huge, like week-long sabbatical, really. You know, it's like it's just one 24-hour block of time. No matter how you slice it, though, right, stopping work is hard, (laughs) Can I get an amen from anyone? No. (laughs) Stopping work is hard, 
right? Tim Keller says that our default way of operating is works righteousness, right? So every morning we wake up and it's like our system restarted, our, we rebooted the computer and it's like, well, I got to earn my salvation again today. The same is true with work. We are prone to not stopping work. It's like a weight, like gravity, right? It's just a, a nature in our, in our sinfulness, right? Wayne Mueller, in his book on Sabbath, he says, Sabbath is not dependent upon our readiness to stop. (laughs) Because you're never ready to stop, right? He says, we do not stop when we are finished. We do not stop when we complete our phone calls, finish our projects, get through this stack of messages, or get out this report that is due tomorrow. We stop because it's time to stop. Right? Stopping requires humility and faith requires humility to remind ourselves that we are not God. And it requires faith to step out and remember that God will keep the world spinning even if we stop work. So an essential piece, right, maybe the, 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 the foundation, if you will, if we're building a house, the foundation of, of a Sabbath is stopping work and resting. It opens us up to the other practices. Since it's not a chore day, right, it may require some advanced planning, Okay, we haven't had the conversation in my house yet, but uh, it may require like me to do chores on my off day on Friday, right? So that we as a family can practice Sabbath together. But stopping work is vital. So first, stop work. The second invitation or the element of Sabbath is to delight in creation, Delight in creation. Dan Allender, uh, who's a, a spiritual formation guru, he says, the only perimeter, parameter that is to guide our Sabbath is delight. Wow. John Mark Comer, again, he writes, if you're new to the Sabbath, a question to give shape to your practice is this, what could I do for 24 hours that would fill my soul with deep, throbbing joy that would make me spontaneously combust with wonder, awe, Gratitude and praise. Like, does does that do anything for y'all? Like, can we just stop and think about that for a sec? Like, I think that's what God is inviting us into. Like, how generous is our God? Like, he creates creation and then orders it to operate in a certain way. And one of the ways, the pieces of the puzzle that he orders is to have a day of rest. One in which, as, uh, uh, as um, Allender says, right, it's like the only parameter is delight. I think it's beautiful that God invites us to this. Part of experience the Sabbath, it is physical rest, but it's also rejuvenation to our souls, right? It's doing things that bring you joy and delight, which, guys, over the last two years, like, man, how... <laughs> We're so, like, joy and awe-stricken, right? It's doing things, friends, that bring you joy and delight. Maybe it's watching a movie with a friend or going on a a walk with a roommate or maybe it's just enjoying a great meal with your family. If you want to enter into this, like, make a list of things that delight you and bring you delight and then do those things. Now, a few encouragements, okay, if we can kind of 
I'm not trying to create a Mishnah for you. You know, if you know about the Mishnah, they like wrote laws around the law so they wouldn't get too close to the law, right? Not creating a Mishnah, just some things to think about, right? Uh, One, I would say consider how you can spend time enjoying God's creation, enjoying God's like physical creation, the things God created, right? Man-made things are great, and I do believe that we can enjoy them on the Sabbath, you know, things like art, music, books, movies, what have you. But there is something that happens to us when we spend time in nature that reminds us how powerful God is. There's this uh, new idea, kind of, I mean, it's, yeah, being empirically shown, which is crazy, but it's called soft fascination. Has anyone ever heard of soft fascination? You know, it's like, not total fascination, just a little soft, soft fascination. Uh, a lot of like productivity people and scientists talk about this, um, and so they're looking at it from the, a- the angle of like, well, if we can get our workers to have soft fascination, then they'll go and be like more worker bees for us and do a better job, right? That's not what I'm, I'm encouraging, but there is a reality to this idea of soft fascination where we like go and experience nature, and it brings just a tiny sense of awe to us as human beings because it reminds us of who God is and what he's created, right? And what's beautiful is when you go and enjoy nature, right, there's no pressure there. (laughs) Like the trees aren't sending you any emails or Slack messages, right? The squirrels aren't hitting up your voicemail telling you they need reports from you. The dew on the grass, like it's not like drowning you, right? It's like, man, there's just, there's something about like the rustle of the leaves and the feeling of the warmth of the sun on your chest or or maybe feeling the cool breeze on your neck, that it brings awe in us because it reminds us of God and his creation. The other day, like, my son, like, was having a full-on three-nager meltdown, like, screaming on the floor, inconsolable, you know, like, when they're really rational and nothing fixes them, right? It's like, great. (laughs) So I grabbed him. I'm stronger than he is, so firmly, right? I grabbed him, and we went outside, and we sat on the porch, and he stopped instantaneously. It was the craziest thing. After 10 minutes, I was like, all right, buddy, you want to go back inside? He's like, no, 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 five more minutes, five more minutes, and we just sat there, like literally sat there. Whether he was like softly fascinated, I don't know, but like there's something about creation that is calming to our souls, I know some of you, you're indoor cats like me, you know, like, you're like, I don't want to go in nature, right? As soon as I'm out there, I'm sneezing and it's sweaty and like stinky. (laughs) I get it. 15 minutes, right? Go sit on your porch for 15 minutes. Watch the leaves rustle. (laughs) Go touch a bark, uh, the bark on the tree. Like, I don't know, but enjoy and be fascinated. Like God's, he's inviting you to experience awe. So consider how to spend time enjoying creation. Uh, And then consider how to limit your screen usage on Sabbath or the Lord's Day for you Baptists. Uh, Us Baptists, I don't know. Uh, Consider how to limit your screen usage and specifically your phone. Okay, I could... I could talk to you guys for hours. I love reading about technology and its impacts on us and how I would argue it deforms us. That's for 35 sermons later. Um, It's 35 sermon series. I haven't put it together yet, but it's in process. Anyways, uh, pray about it, Pastor James. Uh, 
Okay, so our phones, not only do they have an amazing, or screens in general, they have a way of creating hurry within us, they also, our time sucks, right? They suck time from us, sorry, <laughs> sorry. They suck our time away, like just, we don't, we don't get it, right? Like it's just gone, right? And all the Facebook papers that's come out, right? I think there's a survey that like one third of all social media use is unintended, which means like we all want to spend one third less on our social media is what that means, right? If it's unintended. It has a way of just taking our time away. I know I've shared these stats before, but just to put them on your your brain again, the average phone user spends 2.5 hours a day on their phone. 2.5 hours. If you're a millennial, that number's five. Gen Z, I don't have stats on you, but it's probably not less than five, sorry. <laughs> Average, right? You know, some of you guys that have healthier relationships to your technology than others, and some of you have utility to your phone, like coffee wrench blows up all the time, right? It's like five hours on the phone is talking to customers, right? There's utility to our phones, but nonetheless, all right, let's, let's if you're like, s- small things don't help us see the impact, okay? So let's, let's do some math here. If you spend five hours a day on your phone, That means in the span of a year, you spend 76 days on your phone. Right, yeah, that's brutal. That means every five years, you'll spend one year on your phone. An entire year, like 24 hours a day. (laughs) If you're spending five hours a day on your phone, every five years, you'll spend one year on your phone. I say that not to condemn you, like, I'm not that much better like, than any of these stats either, right? It's like, but I, I say that because the, the phone, our phones, our screens, they have a way of hurrying us up and taking our time away. Just think about that, that, that um, if you spend five hours a day on your phone, if you cut your, your phone time down by two, th- or uh, cut it down by two thirds, you've redeemed a whole year's worth of Sabbath. You guys tracking with me? <laughs> You've redeemed a whole year's worth of Sabbath days. So it's not about not having, our t- having the time. It's like we allow things to take our time, maybe even unintentionally. So the point of Sabbath altogether, guys, the reason I think it's important to, to think about that is that Sabbath slows us down, and it actually helps us to operate on biblical time. <laughs> right? It was a slower culture, right? And that's not a bad thing. So when we can get out of our limit or, or consider how to limit our screen usage, it can slow things down for us. So consider how to spend time enjoying God's natural creation. Consider how to limit screen time use. And then consider how you can set the day apart, right? So God, uh, if you remember the, uh, in our passage today, right, God stopped work. He blessed the day. Stay with me. Here we go. He's, he blessed the day. He blessed the day. Yeah, so I'll get you back. I'll get you back. He blessed the day. Okay, and then he set it apart. He set it apart. Okay, so there's probably two camps here, right? There's maybe uh, those who are really, or have hard time stopping work. We'll call you the good workers. And then there's others that I think um, have trouble setting the day apart. I'll call you uh, gently the good resters. You're really good at rest, right? It's like, you're great at rest. You know who you are. You know who you are. If that's you, okay, I think you need to hear the invitation from God to set the day apart. So, practical application for that. If you spend, like, hours throughout the week playing video games, I think you need to set video games aside on this day. 
If you spend hours watching Netflix throughout the week, I think you need to set Netflix aside for this day. Even if that brings you delight, which I would, I would beg to differ, it's probably something you just do and are habituated to do, but you need to set the day apart so that even you, right, if you're great at resting, you have no problem setting down your work, which is a great trait. I'm not being funny about that. Like, that's a great trait and healthy at times. You need to set the day apart and think, how can this day be different yet still bring me and others delight? All right, so delight in creation, right? It's different, and um, everyone has to experience it in different ways. But the goal, the point, is to delight in that which God has blessed and created for us. And then finally, the, f- the last primary element of Sabbath is worship God. Worship God. Guys, the entire point of all our formative practices that we do is to enjoy God. It's to worship Him. It's to praise and honor Him. Right? If, if all week we've struggled to make space for the Lord to devote our time and attention as we would have liked to, like the Sabbath gives us a weekly opportunity to press pause, to set everything aside, and turn our attention towards God. Now, He invites us to more than that, right? Like, um, that's, I would say we need more than that. <laughs> but at the very least... It can incline our hearts again towards Him. Oftentimes, I think we think of the Sabbath as like an old, rigid, religious practice that'll grow stale if we do it every week. It'll be rote, you know. But I think, again, that's more of an issue for us than it is the practice. Puritan pastor Thomas Watson, he offers just this beautiful metaphor that I think can dispel the idea that it's just this old, stale religious practice that um, the Jews used to do, right? Like, listen to this, and again, just like, think of this. This is the invitation that God gives us. He says, when the falling dust of the world has clogged the wheels of our affections, that they can scarce move towards God, the Sabbath comes and oils the shells, no idea what shells are, but maybe the wheels, oils the shells of our affections, and they can move swiftly on. God has appointed the Sabbath for for this end, and hear this, the heart which all the week was frozen on the Sabbath melts with the word of God. The Sabbath is a friend to religion, files off the rust of our graces. It is a spiritual jubilee wherein the soul is set to converse with its maker. Friends, practicing the Sabbath or the Lord's Day, I think we have a great opportunity to um, begin, as I said earlier, to incline our hearts towards worship of Him. Right again, it's like, what if we, what if we shook off <laughs> all the rust of our graces, as Thomas Watson says, starting Saturday night at 6 p.m.? What if we opened our hearts to the Lord as we prepare to gather with our, with our brothers and sisters in Christ to, to hear from God and then also to engage with others on Sunday morning. I think there's an invitation here as we think about the Sabbath to um, not just delight in creation, but also to think about how can we worship God all day long, right? Coming to church on Sunday is great, but I think God's inviting us to more than that. Maybe there's an invitation for you as a family to sit and read a psalm before dinner, to spend time in prayer, or to ask each other, how did God speak to you today? (laughs) What delighted you today? 
What brought you joy in our Sabbath? And how did that make you think about God? Maybe practicing the Lord's Day for you is practicing fixed hour prayer, where at 9, 12, and 6, you just stop and you pray to incline your heart to the Lord. Maybe it's picking up the ancient practice of silence and solitude, where um, when the kids are down for a nap, you just sit on the porch for 15 minutes, no phone, no iPad, no, no book, no Bible, no journal, just you in a chair looking in nature and listening to God. Friends, the final piece, the, the goal, the telos, as we've been saying throughout this sermon, the telos of the Sabbath is ensuring that we stop, we delight in creation, and most importantly, that we worship our God. I think as we consider that, what does it mean to worship God? One of the beauties is that that turns us to think about how we can find an ultimate Sabbath rest, right? Paul says that the Sabbath is a shadow of the things to come, right? The shadow is not the thing in itself. It shows you that there's something greater. Jesus, if you remember, he constantly had run-ins with the religious leaders of his day. (laughs) And a lot of those run-ins happened on the Sabbath, Like, they were always bumping each other's heads on the Sabbath. And these guys were great, can I say saboteurs? I don't know, sabbathers, (laughs) right? They were great at practicing the Sabbath, so much so that they had this, like, rule book that you had to follow, and if you didn't follow it, you were out, right? But the problem that Jesus is addressing with them time and time again is that they thought practicing the Sabbath perfectly, hedging their bets with the Mishnah around the Torah, around the law, they thought if they practiced it perfectly, then God would love them. (laughs) That's not the point of the Sabbath, friends. Jesus tells them time and time again, one, that he is Lord of the Sabbath, and then two, that Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? Right? The Sabbath is not some new slavery that they're entering into. What we see, I think, as Jesus talks about himself and identifies himself as the Lord of Sabbath is that we will never experience real rest until we experience a soul-level rest. Do you hear that? A body in motion stays in motion, right? I know, is that some, my, my wife's in the back, but some science thing says that. Who knows? <laughs> no one? Need Molly Scardinas for she. What body at rest stays at rest? What is that? Body motion? Newton's first law. Thanks, Sarah. Body motion stays in motion. Your body's gonna keep rolling until your soul finds rest, friends. <laughs> it's just true. <laughs> there won't be peace around you until you experience the peace of God in your heart, right? True rest can only be found in Christ. We see that in Hebrews 4, 9 9 through 11. It says, So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter into the rest. Right? There's an act of entering to it. We think it's just going to happen, right? Again, but our default is to work and work for our salvation. Sabbath is an invitation, and an invitation that we must accept and enter into. Friends, the beauty is that Jesus invites you, he invites us, who are tired, weary, and burdened, to 
enter into relationship with him, to find our rest in him. Right? That's what Matthew 11 reminds us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. <laughs> For all, all those who are overworked and over Zoom called and overstressed. He says, I will give you rest. Friends, what's beautiful about the creation narrative is that this rest that God created at the beginning of the time of time is the rest that mankind was supposed to work out of, right? We say all the time here, our identity precedes our function. God created you to be at rest and then to join him on mission out of that rest. So I just want to ask, what if we as a church took this invitation seriously? What if we took the Sabbath invitation seriously? Not salvifically, but seriously. What if we viewed the Sabbath as a command from God? As an act of resistance, reminding us and others that we're not slaves to the 24-7-365, always Slack messaging, always emailing culture. What if we took seriously the invitation to bear God's image as we practice Sabbath? Having healthy rhythms of rest, friends, it's weird, which to me is weird. <laughs> but what if we said yes to rest? What if we realize, as, as, as we say it, our identity precedes our function, that meaning we don't have to work every minute of every day to prove our, values to, our value to others? We don't have to be busy so others think we're important. <laughs> because God declares over us, like, you are beloved, in you, I am well pleased if you're in Christ. I often, I, I think I'm probably the great nuancer in this pulpit, right? Like, <laughs> very gentle invitations. Uh, so this is a stronger invitation for you. We have seven weeks left in the year, and I want to encourage you to think about what would it look like for me to practice Sabbath for seven weeks. Think about it. Some churches do like that, that uh, money back guaranteed for your giving. Well, I guarantee I'll give you more stress and work. If, if, like, if you get to the end of this and you're like, nah, that was trash. I hate Sabbath. Like, okay, I'll help you be tired again. Like, that's fine. I'll give you your tired back guarantee, right? What if, what if we saw this invitation and thought about the fact that like, hey, maybe God is inviting us into something greater rather than being always on, always working, always hustling, what if we were experiencing this invitation to rest in him and operate out of that rest? Friends, if you have no idea where to start, um, one of our deacons, Joe Thomas, he put together this amazing guide that our community groups went through in the spring. Um, I'll put the link on the screen for a couple minutes. Uh, you can go to sojournchurch.com backslash CG Sabbath guide. Um, this can be used corporately or as individuals. Um, it's a great resource. Like, I would encourage you, like, don't wait till Friday to download it and look at it, right? Like, go home tonight and, like, look at it and say, okay, like, what would it look like for me to try this? Just, just try it, you know? Just try it. See it as an invitation, right? It's like going to, a friend says a restaurant is great, you know? You, at least try it, right? If you hate exotic burgers, like, okay, that's fine. At least you tried it, right? You know, it's like, if you hate Sabbath, okay, at least you tried it. I think you'll probably like it, and it might be better for you than you think, but it takes time too, right? It's a practice. 
Church, what's beautiful is that every week um, we gather together as a body of Christ to celebrate the rest that we have in Christ. When we celebrate a meal called communion together, it's a reminder to us and to the watching world that Jesus has paid the penalty for us, (laughs) that the work is done, right? It is finished, as Christ said on the cross to us. You don't have to prove your value to others. You don't have to work all the time, 24-7, so that others think you're important, right? God declares over you, if you're in Christ, that you are important, that you are a beloved son or daughter of the King. When we practice this meal together, it's actually... Uh, It's a looking back, but it's a looking forward. It reminds us, too, of the Sabbath rest that we will enter in one day. No more fears, no more anxieties, no more uh, just overwhelming stress all the time, right? We'll experience pure peace and joy as we worship God together. Um, If you'd like to participate in this meal, um, there's individual servings of communion in the pew backs. You can grab those and we'll partake together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was eating with his disciples. He took bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body. Let's take and eat this bread together. The same night, Jesus took a cup of wine. And after giving thanks, he said to them, his disciples, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take and drink this cup together. Friends, the Apostle Paul, he says that as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're pronouncing Christ's death until he returns. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church and ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.